Here, here. Go away and let us alone. Oh, scared, huh? Afraid, huh? <laughs> How long can you stay fresh in that can? <laughs> Come on, get up and fight, you shivering junkyard. Put your hands up, you lopsided bag of hay. Now, that's getting personal, Lion. Yes, get up and teach him a lesson. Well, what's wrong with you teaching him? Uh, well, well, I hardly know him. <laughs> Well, I'll get you anyway, Pee-wee. Shame on you. What did you do that for? I didn't buy them. No, but you tried to. It's bad enough picking on a straw man, but when you go around picking on poor little dogs... Well, you didn't have to go and hit me, did you? Is my nose bleeding? <laughs> Hello again, and welcome to another episode of A Thousand and One by One, where we take a film out of the wonderful book, A Thousand and One Movies You Must See Before You Die. Discuss it, analyze it, and ultimately decide whether or not it should be in the book. My name is Adam St. John. And my name is Ian Woodington. And we are, we're back at it, recording again. And we finally have some decent equipment. We're, we're ready. We, we both have uh, these uh, rotating arms so that we can have our mics freestanding and and we have elbow room for notes and... and yeah, I'm feeling good. We're, coming, we're, we're, we're becoming more and more legit every week. I um, hope so. Which segues right into a couple of um, uh, updates, which I know we posted on the socials, but uh, if you just listen, we're just going to say it here too. Um, so primarily, we've been releasing our podcasts on um, like Apple Podcasts and Google Play and Spotify. We're now up on Stitcher, which I know is, is another big uh, place that people find them. So there you go. Um, and also, we have a Patreon now, um, which you can find at just patreon.com slash 1001 by one as you would search for us anywhere a big shout out to our first patron we have somebody who is a patron it was like the next day after we put it up i'm very excited about this so uh shout out to mary deering thank you so much for uh contributing to the show you are a queen and uh you have a wonderful taste in podcasts i must say so yeah. Congratulations. Thank you for, for pitching in. Uh, at the, what was the $5 level? So the recommend to recommend level? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So uh, we'll, in a couple of months, we'll uh, we'll be reporting back on that. Um. So before we talk about, God, what is this? The 80th anniversary yeah, of The Wizard of Oz today, we are going to... Uh, Come in with some some recommends, I, and and I don't know I don't know which one of us wants to go first. Uh, I have no idea what you have. Pre- I, you know what I have prepared. I'm real, I... Mine's mine's real fresh. Okay, mine's last night real fresh. All right, That's let's do I'm... it. Let's do it. Okay, uh, so uh, I was uh, lucky enough last night to go and see the newest film by probably my favorite director, if not my top five, uh, Quentin Tarantino's new film, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Um. If you watch the trailer, you might think the movie is about one thing when it's it's really not. They the trailer makes this movie seem like it really has a lot to do with the Sharon Tate uh, murder of by the, the the Manson family members. That's really ancillary to the story that it is, which is really about uh, an, a struggling actor uh, by the name of uh, Ray Dalton, played by Leonardo DiCaprio, and his stuntman Cliff Booth, played by Brad Pitt. And 
just kind of their lives as aging men in the business in Hollywood. I will I will say because this movie is so fresh and it is my recommend and I'm not going to spoil anything. This is a a slow burn. This is I would say very it's the most unlike a Tarantino movie I would say of any of his movies. Is it a slow burn like Hateful Eight was a slow burn or even slower than that? I would say even slower than that. But it's really interesting. Like at no point the movie's you know 2 hours and 40 minutes roughly it's right around that and at no point did I feel bored. It's really interesting, and and Brad Pitt in particular and Leo are are really fun on screen. They they're they're playing some interesting characters and they're doing great work. What I will say though is that this is the most successful slow burn to a payoff I think I've seen recently. The end of this movie, not that not the very end, but like the climax of the movie is in fucking sane, and. It really kind of comes out of nowhere in such an entertaining way. I I don't know what else to say. I, I mean, I will go see any. There are a few living directors who, when they have a new film come out, I am going to jump on board to go see. And Tarantino will always be one of those. And it doesn't have the snappy, really witty Tarantino dialogue that I think he's 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 known for. But it's still really interesting. It's shot really well. It's the most subtle of his movies, I would say. It really goes under the radar. And it, I would almost say this is more of a Leo and Brad Pitt movie than it's a Tarantino movie. I mean, Tarantino obviously directed it and wrote it. But I think the credit goes more to the two leading actors. Um, so it's a weird gem that has one of the best payoffs I've seen recently. So Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, go see it. It is in theaters. Yeah. So snap decision. I know you said you wanted it to sit a little while. Where just off, right off the bat, where does it sit in your rankings of of the nine? So, I would say that I know that Pulp Fiction will always be my one, and then Reservoir and Inglorious Bastards will go back and forth between my two and three. So basically, the rest are sort of in flux. Uh, Jackie Brown and Django demand a rewatch from me. I would say right now, kind of spur of the moment whether it makes my top five or my bottom five i would say it's probably closer to my top five than my bottom five only because i i think it's just such an it's it's when you look at the canon of his it's it's the most unique i feel like it's not trying so hard to be he's such a in a way genre type director he does like to pay homage to certain types of film I don't find this to be... I mean, I think he's paying homage to cinema in this. But it's not like he's trying to make a Western or a World War II movie or a Kung Fu movie. He's just making this movie. So that's what I would say. It's it's closer to the top five, I would say, than, than the bottom five. But I don't know. I don't know. There it is. Oh, it's got to sit for a little while. It, uh, it definitely has to, to germinate before I can make a, a final decision on that. All right. whenever, we, whenever we do our first one for the pod... I'll, I will force myself to actually listen. Oh yeah, out. no. When we do Reservoir or Pulp Fiction, we'll have to do the the top. Oh yeah, yeah. you know, ranking all of Tarantino. Definitely. So, what do you got, my friend? Well, a couple of weeks back, you had mentioned that you saw Midsummer. Yes. And so, I well, I was going to go anyway. Fair. <laughs> but um, Midsummer, the new film from Ari Aster, as of this recording, hopefully it's still in some theaters. I think you could probably still see it. I think it's still playing. Yeah. 
Um, this is my kind of movie, man. <laughs> this is exactly the kind of movies that if I were a filmmaker, this is what I want to make. Now, I, I, now, I didn't say hardly anything about it. So we No, well, because your recommend was Toy Story 4 because you saw them yes. fairly close, right? I did, yep. Uh, that would make a weird double feature. It would. Yeah. <laughs> I can't say I'd recommend that. <laughs> I wouldn't either. Um, so a brief little summary of the plot. There's this young girl... Uh, they all seem to be about college age and they're talking about dissertations her boyfriend and his group of friends are anyway uh, the Florence Pugh character and the Jack Rayner character they're in a relationship which is kind of disintegrating um, you definitely feel like he's fallen out of love with her if he ever was at all uh, and then something big happens something really really big happens in those first 10 minutes that kind of forces his hand well now I can't break up with her because I'll look like the biggest dick that ever was yeah um, meanwhile, while all this is going on, we cut to seven months later, right before they're about to take this trip to Sweden with one of their college roommates, um, that one of the guys is going to write a dissertation on about this, this place where he grew up. Cause they're, they seem like they're all anthropology majors yeah. or at least two of them are. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so they, they go and it's this cult kind of festival that they only do every 90 years. Uh, so it's a really big deal. And, of course, things get out of control almost immediately. Actually, that was that was one of my favorite moments in the movie is before stuff gets really, really crazy, there's the moment where uh, they all do mushrooms mm-hmm. right when they get there. And I'm like, this this movie feels so legit. This is written by somebody who, who has done drugs or either knows a lot about doing drugs because it feels very, very real. There's the one character, the uh, Will Poulter character. He's like, hey, hey, can we just lie down? Can everybody just lie down? Lie down with me. Come on, let's no, that dude, lie down. Like it's that like trying to have that shared experience and people freaking out on mushrooms and then things get really crazy obviously as you discover who the people are in this this kind of cult sheltered community and and why they've all been brought there. And it's got a lot of wicker man in it, which I'm always in for. You know, Adam at least knows how much I love The Wicker Man. That is one of my top ten films of all time. I think it is the greatest horror film of all time, if not one of the best British movies ever made. And so anything that kind of smacks of that and has that flavor of people being brought into this world and the clashing of ideals and new religions versus old religions, stuff like I, I just eat that up all day long. Yeah, well, and it's, it's, it's not just... You know, the incoming people not understanding the customs of, of where they are, but some of them, I should say, mostly one, but a few of them, you know, not adhering to some of the customs that have been set up. One of them blatantly, I will just say, pissing on custom and tradition, quite literally. I'll leave that vague, but you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah it, it's it, when these these worlds clashing uh, really leads to some interesting moments Um I think what when it what it really hit for us was when uh, that the old man and woman who had reached the end of their life uh, are basically moving on. I don't know. I, I'll, I'm trying to keep my words vague because it is still so new. But they're moving on to the next plane of their life, and uh, uh, he doesn't quite. And it's um, whew, that was uh, a particularly rough moment to watch. Oh no, we could feel the tension in the room. Yeah, it was great. So we. I'm I'm usually a back seat guy. I don't like people behind me. It's it, for me. It's easier to ignore noise if it's in front of me rather than behind me, and okay. I can just focus on the screen and just kind of get immersed in the in the sound of the movie rather than the stuff that's going on in front of me. Anyway, I I kind of I made a compromise. I know it's a long movie. I'm like, all right, we'll go sit down at the front, 
to to Liz and I said, "All right, you put your feet up on the bars and whatever." Hey, that's but, where we sat in the bar. We got a bar in front of us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, yeah, yeah, do your thing. Put your feet up because you're short, and I know it's difficult in the back seat. And you can't <laughs> in the back row. You can't reach the chairs in front of you to put your feet up, and that's fine. She, I mean, she's five foot three. That's you know, she's taller than my wife. Is she? Melissa's like five foot. Is maybe she? five one. Oh, oh wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So then she'll she'll know the pain. Yeah. Of, of <laughs> life in a cinema at that height. And so it was funny. It it wasn't a full theater, but it was you know it was a, a Saturday after a Saturday early morning. It mm-hmm. got you know I don't know. There's 25 people in there. There was nobody in the back. They all kind of congregated around us, kind of like encasing us yeah. in that front row. It was really weird. And as I'm watching the movie. I'm laughing, and my laughter is making Liz uncomfortable because no one else is laughing. And I'm like, what is wrong? You are allowed to laugh at these things. I, I, that's what I get. don't get about some movie audiences. They're just, they feel like they're not allowed to laugh well, can I, can I, at certain things in darker movies well, like that. I want to I, I wanna mention this really quick, and I, this is kind of a weird tangent before we get to The Wizard of Oz. But So there's a scene in Midsummer where, uh, I, and I don't know the actor's names, The Boyfriend. Oh, uh, that's Jack Rayner. Okay, Jack Rayner. He has been taken into a certain room, and he is doing something. He's surround. He's surrounded by women at at this point, and this doesn't give it. But but the women in this like semicircle are are all naked. Um, there are some kind of awkwardly funny moments within that scene, but there must have been a group of like really shy twenty year old guys who came to see this movie, and they couldn't help but snicker. Every time it just cut to the women doing like they're just standing there. And it was like this like <laughs> they're naked. And I, that actually like I laughed. There's a moment. I'm just I got it. Okay. There's a moment where one of the women starts pushing what's Jack Rayner's ass, which I thought was funny that she was like getting involved, which I thought I thought was genuinely humorous. But besides moments like that, that scene wasn't funny, but there was constant like just immature prickish laughter happening oh, behind Jesus. us and i just wanted to say worst. how old are you is this that really funny i i don't know that that was the only part of the movie experience that bugged me um because i was pretty much engrossed with it but that was that was just irritating but, but you know you know what i mean when you've been in a cinema full of people and you're i mean certainly we had that experience when we went and saw in bruges i mean there was oh, yeah. there was a fair amount of laughter but we were laughing the loudest and the longest to a, to a degree where I felt the people unco- around us being uncomfortable about it, which is whatever. That's yeah. fine. This, I find this shit funny. If you don't, then that's that's your problem. You're yeah. allowed to laugh. This, I had the same experience at the Borat movie. Oh, God. Full theater. Maybe me and three other people were the ones that found it funny. That's crazy. What the fuck do they think they, they, think they were seeing? Yeah, what are you here for? Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, it's a real Kazaki documentary. It's going <laughs> to get to the truth. <laughs> no. Uh. Well... There are our recommends. There you have it. Yeah, and and which I, fresh takes. I was going to say, I think this might be the first time we've recommended movies that are still in theaters. So there you have it: Midsummer and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Go check them out. So we are talking about one of the most iconic movies ever made today, and and as we've mentioned, we are talking about The Wizard of Oz. Uh, this was. We can get into this now, but directed by. I, the credit goes to Victor Fleming. Well, it's at the very it starts a Victor Fleming production. Yes. Even though, as far as I know, he had nothing to do with either the pre-production process or the post-production process. No, 
That's that. Yes, that's the way I understand it too. Um, so do you, do you have the list of the other directors? Yeah. Okay. So Richard Thorpe started it, right? He got about was it a week or ten days in the shooting? Okay, here we go. I thought it was Norman uh, Torog who started it, because I I have I have the timeline. Yeah, he so Torog directed the Technicolor tests and then quit because he felt like he couldn't do it. And then I have Thorpe shot nine days worth of footage before, like, production was shut down. Oh, oh, sorry. Okay, I get you. Yes. I, I didn't, all right. I didn't really count Torog because he didn't film anything that was really. Yeah, he just shot some tests. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. So, okay. no, so no, I would get not including him. Thorpe was the first person to really shoot anything that, of which anything ended up still in the movie. Although, even, even then, after his stuff, a lot of things changed. Like, the way Dorothy's hair looked changed from after after Thorpe going into Victor Fleming. Right. Yeah. Well, we had George Cukor, and again, he didn't shoot anything either, but he he served as a sort of creative director. He yeah. changed sort of oh, the look and the yeah. feel of the film. Between and, Yes, you're yeah. right. Between Thorpe and Fleming, Cukor came in and really helped shape essentially a lot of what we ended up seeing in the film. Yeah. And then uh, King Vidor filmed some of the stuff right at the end. Yeah. He, so Kansas he stuff. essentially finished it. He, yeah. he shot all the, all the Kansas stuff, the over the rainbow sequence. And then as far as I know, the, the end as well before Mervyn Leroy, who was actually the, the guy that, that brought the book to MGM. Yeah. I think he, he is actually probably, I, I don't know that he's my unsung hero, but he shot the most, uh, for me, the most iconic moment, which is the transition from sepia to color. I guess that was a pickup. That's a great moment. Yeah. Yeah. And the genius thing about this, oh, I, when I read how they did it, because you don't have CG. You can you, do it now. Yeah. yeah. You you don't have CG. You got to you gotta shoot it all practically. Yep. This is 1938. Um, or th- I, I think they were already into 39 when they did the reshoots. But either way, 38, 39. Yeah. The inside of the set and her dress, the stand-ins, was painted, painted. sepia. Yeah. And then she opens the door, backs out of frame, and then Judy Garland steps into frame yeah. in the color dress. It's, you know, and it's it's not a it's not a cut, so I can't say it's one of the best cuts, but it is one of the best transitions. And, and the crazy thing is that I, it, even calling it a transition doesn't make sense because it still implies like there's like a cut. It's it's just such a great piece of movie making that. I think even by today's standards, it is still phenomenally done. It is if you can pick apart everything else in that film, but that is the one moment that still, for me, stands the test of time. I, I it's great, and and it was funny because Stella had seen it before. She's my oldest, and so when we watch it again, she she it, once she started singing "Over the Rainbow," she kind of oh yeah, she kind of it kind of came back to her. Sophie was in and out because she doesn't understand it. She's she's turning two, but. When when it went into Oz, she she literally went ooh colors, and it really like I think it like overwhelmed her for a second because it was you know the sepia isn't bad, but when it goes into color, she I, she was legit overwhelmed. My two year old didn't know what to do, so so there you have it. That's awesome. We've got we've got the seal of approval. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Um, so. Uh, screenplay credit again. I don't oh. even know. I didn't even bother to get all the names. How the, to do so this. There were there were seventeen. No, excuse. There were eighteen writers on this thing. Yeah, fifteen of them went uncredited. Yes. So so yeah. So the three that I had 
were Florence Ryerson, Edgar Allan Wolf, and uh, Noel Langley. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and so then, much, yeah. And then every other working screenwriter under the sun probably took a pass at this I, thing. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. We'll talk about our cast. I mean, Judy Garland plays Dorothy. Do we want to? Should we get through all of the characters before we talk about like some of the other people who were considered or? Yeah. Should, okay. Yeah, yeah. So we'll do a, we'll do like a first pass and then we'll come back. So yeah. So Judy Garland played Dorothy. Frank Morgan, who I, I love so much in this, uh, plays Professor Marvel and the Wizard of Oz and the Gatekeeper and the Carriage Driver and the Guard. Um, we have uh, Ray Bolger who plays the Scarecrow. Bert Lar playing the Cowardly Lion. Jack Haley playing the Tin Man. Uh, Billy Burke plays Glinda. Margaret Hamilton plays the Wicked Witch of the West. And then I, I have Annie M and Uncle Henry, um, but I don't really – I mean, there, I have uh, uh, Charles – Charlie Grapewin plays Uncle Henry, and uh, Clara Blandwick – Blandick, excuse me, plays Annie M. And, of course, we have Terry the dog playing Toto. Even though I think he is credited as Toto in the credits and not Terry. Uh-huh. Uh. Well, and I, I watching the one of the documentaries on it, um, I didn't realize how illustrious a career he had. Toto might be the most well-established of all the people I just referenced in this movie. So hot damn. Well done, Terry the Maybe Dog. Maybe that is the unsung hero of The Wizard of Oz. Well, I remember <laughs> I tried to pitch the bird in The Samurai, and you weren't having that. I don't. That was so far, so far back. I don't remember. Yeah. Was I? Was I? Was I against it? Uh, I think you thought it was absurd. I thought it was. He, I didn't think the bird. I think the bird was plot pivotal. Yeah, but, but I called the bird the unsung, my unsung hero. Whatever. <laughs> Victor Fleming is credited with this movie, right? He is technically listed in the book two other times. He's listed for Captain Courageous from 1937, but he's also listed in Gone with the Wind kind of co-directing it with George Kikor, which I don't want to tackle that now. Whenever we get to Gone with the Wind, we can sort of break that down. But do you have but, anything you want to say no, about well, that? Well, it still stands as one of the greatest double acts in any year. I mean, we talk about Spielberg before with his, sure, you know, doing Munich and War of the Worlds in the same year, Schindler's List and Jurassic Park. Minority Report and Catch Me If You Can. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Whereas this one, this one feels kind of like a cheat. I mean, you could still say it's goddamn impressive. I, I'm I'm more I agree with you though because I mean, Victor Fleming was a director for hire on both of them he yes. came in to clean up other people's messes didn't even finish the Wizard of Oz as far as I know he did stay all the way through production on Gone with the Wind but this one he left to take over Gone with the Wind when that was having trouble as well yeah like how bad do you feel for George Kakor to have Victor Fleming come in behind you not on one movie but two movies that year yeah and then to turn around and get all the goddamn credit for it. Yeah, I mean... I mean, even King Vidor didn't take credit for the Kansas sequences until after Fleming had died yeah. in 49. Well, and what... It, I mean, the, the studio system as it was just seems like a, a really crazy time. I mean, I'm sure for them it was par for the course. You know, you could shoot half of a movie and then be told to go to the next thing. I mean, you probably didn't even have that much decision-making ability. You know, you had to... If you garnered enough acclaim, you probably had better a better chance at picking what you wanted to do, but... If you weren't, you were if you were just like one of the actors. You were basically told what your projects were. You didn't really have a whole lot of say. Yeah, no, we had to get a little further into the 40s into people like, you know, John Huston that we talked about the other week and yeah. uh, and John Ford. Yep. yep. Yeah. Um do we want to go in do we want to move into accolades or do we want to talk any more about um casting and casting 
like who was considered. Uh, well, I, back I feel out. like that that will come out. Okay, great. There's so much of it that yeah, it'll, it'll yeah. just come up naturally. Wonderful. Okay, so um, so accolades um at the Academy Awards um not surprising to hear that this won best song and best song score um for Over the Rainbow, which I'm sure will come up a couple more times as we talk about this. Um, it was nominated. Uh, it was nominated for Best Picture and Cinematography and Production Design, all of which it lost to Gone with the Wind, which was the big. I mean, Wizard of Oz was huge, but Gone with the Wind was. It's still the highest grossing film of all time. It was if the you cat's adjust, pajamas. Yeah, I mean, if you it, adjust for inflation, it, it, it was, blows everything else away. It was what Titanic was for us. I mean, in terms of monumental and sweeping and, and grand, it, it, that's what it was. Um, maybe a little less racist. Uh, the Wizard of Oz, it was, it, there was no visual effects award officially back then. There was a special effects, but it lost to The Rains Came, which I, I know I know absolutely nothing about. Yeah, I didn't bother to look at that one either. But it is worth noting that Victor Fleming did also win Best best Director that year. Not for this, but for yeah. Gone with the Wind, obviously. Now, I, I, this I was unaware of. Did you know it was nominated for the Palm Door? I didn't. What a what Which a is crazy piece of, of of information to find out as I was researching this movie. Well, it shows you just how widespread this thing was. Oh yeah, I mean the novel was or the series of novels because his uh, L. Frank Baum he, he wrote like fourteen of them. Yeah, yeah, and there have been God knows how many copies and ripoffs and and unofficial and, sequels. Well, and, and I didn't. I guess I didn't realize. I knew there were. I I knew that there were other versions or not other versions, but that it was a. Uh, series of books that have come out. But yeah, I, I had no idea it was 14 of And them. how popular they were. Yeah. I mean, you know, hearing um, Margaret Hamilton uh, talk about getting those books for Christmas when she was a child. And, and, like, even thinking, like, wow, these were, I mean, these really were very popular books for the time. So it's kind of, you know, it's like putting, when they first put Harry Potter on the screen. Or, yeah, you, you know. have to imagine, yeah, either the Lord of the Rings of its yeah. day or the yeah. Harry Potter of its day. Um. Hey, hey, Ian, was this film inducted into the National Film Registry? It was in 1989, and I have a postscript for oh. that as well. Not only P.S. is it preserved on that level, but it is also a part of UNESCO's Memory of the World program. So they've preserved it as well. So that's the United Nations Educational, Scientific, and Cultural Organization. I guess I, did a little, I didn't know what the Memory of the World yeah. project was, but it's, uh, it's an initiative to safeguard documentary heritage of humanity against collective amnesia neglect the ravages of time and climatic conditions and willful and deliberate destruction that's yeah. their official sort of thing from wikipedia or whatever yeah that was yeah it was that was a fun thing to yeah to read so to. this this thing really isn't going where the other thing that bummed me out though is their website is not fantastic so i couldn't find like if if there are any other films in it and what those other films are sure. which would have been great to find out yeah but. yeah absolutely um, and then uh, it, it, it currently sits on the AFI's top uh, 100 at number 10 uh, in the previous. Well, it's on like every single AFI list. Well, yes, yes. And and I have that too. Um, it, uh, pre- on the 97 list, it was at 14. So it found its way up to the Kraken right into the top 10 there. Uh, it currently, ooh, now let's see if we have the same number. I have number 237 on the IMDb top Ah, when did you take yours? Um, it would have been about a week and a half ago, I think. Okay, so it has actually gone up a point. Oh. It's up to 236 when I took these notes on the 22nd. Oh. I got I wonder what movie that's been out for 2 weeks is. <laughs> yeah, right. Did Endgame finally slip? <laughs> Jesus. Um it has a Rotten Tomato score of 98 with a uh, with an audience score of 89, which I 
I'm a little surprised to see that one as low as it is. I feel like this is. I would assume the audience score would be higher than the critic score. Yeah, because it is it is the most they believe it's the most seen film of all time. Yeah. It's the most beloved film of all time. The the list of parodies alone. Yeah. And and references that have been I mean, people reference this on a daily basis. I mean, it's got it's got three quotes in the AFI top one hundred quotes yeah, of all time. Yep. At number four, the not in Kansas line, number twenty three, the no place like home line, and at number ninety nine I'll get you, my pretty, and your little dog, too. Yeah. Which is uh, just beat out, I guess, the number... I, I, out of curiosity, just looked at the whole list, but number 100 is King of the World from Titanic, ah. so that's what that one just beat out. There it is. I also liked looking... It's got two songs in the top 100 AFI songs as well. Yep. So yep. it's got Over the Rainbow at number one, which, again, I just looked at the whole list. It beat out um, As Time Goes By from Casablanca for the number one mm. spot, which, I don't know, that feels... I would prefer to see that one at the top yeah. just because of my own personal connection to Casablanca. But sure. I mean, I can understand how much more iconic over the rainbow is. Yeah. Especially because of that ukulele version. That's. Oh just, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I, I, it's like Israel something. He's got a very, very Hawaiian last name that I, I cannot pronounce. Yeah. No. No. But I, and then I know what you're talking about. Number 82 on that list is the, the ding dong, the witch is dead. Yeah. So, um, did you find any uh, critical reviews? I found the one from the New Yorker. Oh, I had that one too. Did you? Yeah. I just I loved it. Even I, even though he doesn't speak highly, the guy's name is uh, Russell Russell Maloney. Yep. Uh, would you like to, to do the honors? Oh, I don't. I, I I so yes, and I don't have the whole. I it's I I it's the build up to essentially the line that I think is like the the quotable line from his review. He says, "Fantasy is still Walt Disney's undisputed domain." Nobody else can tell a fairy tale with his clarity of imagination, his simple good taste, or his technical ingenuity. This was forcibly borne in on me as I sat cringing before MGM's Technicolor production of The Wizard of Oz, which displays no trace of imagination, good taste, or ingenuity. I will rest my case against The Wizard of Oz on one line of dialogue. It occurs in a scene in which the Wicked Witch is trying to persuade Dorothy, the little girl from Kansas, to part with a pair of magic slippers. The Good Witch interrupts them, warning Dorothy not to give up the slippers, whereupon the Wicked Witch snarls, You keep out of this! Well, there it is. Either you believe witches talk like that, or you don't. I don't. Since the Wizard of Oz is full of stuff as bad as that, or worse, I say it's a stinkeroo. Yeah, definitely, definitely not the target audience there. No, I don't what, think. What, he... what do they say at the beginning that this is for everybody who is young at heart? Or <laughs> yeah, yeah, clearly not young at heart. This guy was born like at like age sixty-three. Oh, we would have gotten along just fine. <laughs> I, I like the, the next paragraph, too. The vulgarity of which I was conscious all through the film is difficult to analyze. Part of it was the raw, eye-straining technicolor applied with a complete lack of restraint. And the gags, let me tell you. Dorothy is telling the wizard about the fate of the Wicked Witch. She just melted away, Dorothy says. Liquidated, eh? The wizard comes back quick as a flash. He's a card, that wizard. You ought to hear him ribbing the boys in Dave's Blue Room some morning. Which, for the record, Dave's Blue Room, because I had to look. It was a... Uh, a restaurant on 7th Avenue in New York. It was like a big celebrity hangout uh, gotcha, in the, gotcha. 40, the 30s and 40s. So we're not going to – listen, this movie, as, as Ian has said, is the most seen movie – regard as the most seen movie ever made. So here – Dorothy is a girl. She has a dog named Toto um, who has bitten uh, Mrs. Gulch, uh, and Mrs. Gulch wants to off the dog. 
Dorothy runs away with Toto, runs into Professor Marvel, who basically, which I do very much enjoy, convinces her to go back home. A tornado happens. Uh, part of a window hits her in the head, and she is transported to Oz. She, the the house crushes the Wicked Witch of the East. Thank you. And she has to go meet Oz. That's the only way the person that can help her get home. Along the way, she meets Scarecrow and Tin Man and Lion in that order. They have some adventures. Uh, the Wicked Witch of the West tries to stop them the entire time. And we get to maybe the biggest unanswered question in film history, but somehow Dorothy extinguishes <laughs> the Wicked Witch of the West. Uh, the professor can't get Dorothy back home, but the, the good witch just says, all you have to do is click your heels three times and say, there's no place like home. And what do you know? Dorothy makes it back to Kansas. So I didn't want to like go, I mean, we're going to talk about whatever. I, in fact, I, what I think is going to be fun about this is just to, what stands out to us after this movie's been out for 80 years. I mean, I... Probably. Right, because there's, there's nothing really new that we can say. I yeah. mean, the reason we want... It's the 80th anniversary, and we're almost right on the 80th anniversary as well, because yeah. it came out 11th of August yeah. was its first public screening. So one thing I wanted to pitch to you... Yeah. We have an unsung hero on this show. Yeah. Or we, we at least try to every episode find ourselves an, an unsung hero in amongst uh, the film, whether it be either an on-screen unsung hero or maybe somebody behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wanted to pitch to you a weak link. Who but, is the weak link? In, in any given movie that we're going to do. I, I, I think I'll start with this one. Uh, for me, it's Margaret Hamilton. Really? She is inconceivably bad. Oh. As the She, for me, just every scene she's in, I cringe. Like, she just really... And I know the point is for her to be, like, she's got to be scary. She's got to intimidate. But she hams it up so hard. Which, considering she was such a big fan of of the, the the books and wasn't the uh, she wasn't the original choice she was actually like an mgm bit player yeah like a like contract player uh-huh and i don't know how much of of what she does is is like her intention versus how they cut it sure uh because originally i guess in one of the drafts the witch was going to be uh a little more appealing she her character was going to have a bit more duality yeah and you know it was going to be she was kind of like suffering a little bit you know what I mean? She was going to be much, still an antagonist, but much more of a relatable one. Which, which, which is how she, when she went on the Mister Rogers show, uh, he interviewed her and she talked about that and talked about feeling sorry for her and you know wanting to play her as humanly as possible. That doesn't come through at uh, all. Okay, so t- it's a caricature. Two things. One, I agree that 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 does not come across in the movie. I think that the sole purpose of her character is to be evil. There's, there's no, I don't think there's a redeeming, we should feel bad for her. Now that I, I don't, I'm not the biggest fan of this musical, but that's what Wicked tackles is the, what makes, what makes her the way that she is. So just as a, as a little yeah. tangent there, yeah. it's so funny. I don't, I don't, I guess I don't think of her in that way. It's only because I find most acting from this time period to be a little over the top and, and unlike what we do now anyway i mean watching even even movies from like the 60s sometimes it's like wow this is i mean it's not bad but it is still different from where we've kind of gotten to today yeah no it would be into the 50s and well into the 50s when you get guys like you know brando coming up and doing his thing and and getting more into that kind of method acting and things like that we're still a little ways from that yet um you know it's funny I, i on the spot if i'm thinking about a a weak link 
in this in this movie. I, I gotta say, in in general, it's the Munchkins. They serve the purpose because they're in the book. Um, but the like, I wrote at one point. Uh, I think it's the um, the the Lullaby League. Oh, the, the yeah, three. Yeah. They yeah. sound like the goddamn chipmunks. It's that weird, like high pitch thing, and it's like, oh no, please, this is just. Uh, and I realized that there, a lot of them weren't even from uh, from the U.S. That they came from all over the place because they needed that. You know, it was the biggest. It was the biggest casting and roundup of little people. I'm, I, if ever, might not be the right, but at least up until that point, it was the biggest. Well, at least until you know George Lucas came on the scene and needed a bunch of people in teddy bear costumes. Oh, whatever, fuck yeah. the Ewoks. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just, I honestly found that I, I find the stuff with the Good Witch. I find that stuff I, like this movie's not long, but it 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 feels that that long. was crazy to me. So so I haven't seen it in twenty years, yeah, give or take, end to end, just because you catch bits and pieces of it here and there of all course. the time, yeah. But to actually sit down with the intention to watch it end to end, it's been at least twenty years, and I remember it being a whole lot longer. Like I remember that, like in my child's mind, this movie is like three hours and just won't end. No, yeah, no, but it's no, not. it goes by in a flash, and then it's over, and you're like, oh. Oh, okay so that's what we're gonna do like it just it feels and the editing okay so maybe maybe if i'm to have a behind the scenes weak link man the editing like this film the stuff the stuff that they leave in versus the stuff that they took out yeah is is a really interesting choice like the whole sequence when they they're they see oz they can see oz and then the witch puts them all to sleep and then they just wake back up like nothing happened. And then can well, you, why is that scene necessary? I think the second the second biggest unanswerable question of this movie is how what does the snow do to them? I don't is it like being splashed in the face with water and like oh oh, oh and yeah I'm exactly and it's something ridiculous that snaps them out of it. I I just didn't quite understand how how Glinda making it snow makes them wake up. This movie when there's so much fantasy behind it and like a whole world that we don't know we could i could have i hate to say this i could have used a little more exposition or 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 reasons well, as well, to there's, why there's not happening. enough there's not enough world building for a start yeah that's true which i'm sure you it's, you've got 14 novels i mean there's plenty of it in there that you can extrapolate from but for those of us that don't have the time well, to sit there and read those 14 books and i want to say you know isn't it and totally contradict me here if you heard otherwise, but I want to say that it's either in the books or at least one of the drafts of this of the script was that it wasn't a dream that that it was a thing like Alice in Wonderland where she you know did she actually go or was it a, a figment of her imagination? And it, you know in this version clearly she just had a, a hit on the head and she was out the whole time. And obviously she you know as the way movies like this do she learned a valuable lesson while she was in that i guess i would call it a slight coma and um you know that there's no place like home and she she walks out of it having learned something you know which she's young and she's precocious and she she could have made a terrible decision to run away and obviously she made the right decision by coming back and you know as subtle as it is i do i do really like the idea of all the the farm hands and uh and mrs gulch being the people within her dream. Well, yeah, I think that, that makes sense because she would dream about what you know and yeah. then, and kind of and that's, again, and build I, around it. I feel like I only say that because it seems like a really obvious thing that maybe doesn't get talked about all that often because there are so many other things to talk about with this movie. But I, as far as simple storytelling things go, you have to really sit back and appreciate that. That they didn't 
they didn't do anything different than that. That it's she pulled straight from the people who she would have seen, which is a small thing to like. But I do. Well, it I, also I really saves you that. casting like four other people. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> Yeah, so I didn't. The Munchkins I find to be a, a, a little, a little hard to handle. So. Yeah, no, that's that is one of the rougher sequences. Yeah, I was, I, I was, I was white knuckling it. Like I knew it was coming. I was like, all right, now, I just got to grip my teeth and get through this. I, now it's funny, but as I say that though, the uh, after the 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 Lullaby League, we get the Lollipop Guild, and those three guys, man, They're, I love, I love the, me some Lollipop Guild. Those guys are hardcore, man. Nope. We represent the lo- Oh, they're great. I they you are. have to assume they'd fuck you up, man. Oh. I, yeah, they would. Oh, man. I <laughs> I just can't wait to see, like, a little switchblade come out or something like oh, that. Oh, man. I, mean? I would, I would I, I get a little West Side Story going on with them. Yeah. Like, the Jets and the Sharks within 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 the Munchkin Land. Why isn't Spielberg doing that? Man. Do the do the Munchkin Land version of I would of love Wizard to know the internal conflict uh, going on in Munchkin Land. Yeah. Because yeah. Spielberg is remaking West Side Story. Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. Get the Lollipop <laughs> Guild in there and just, you know, remake it in Munchkin Land. Yeah, better movie already. So, and and we're nowhere near stopping this conversation. But I, I do, so we we have a, a weak link now. Um, and I, I, I is, there, is your favorite shot the sepia to color? Because it is for me. Yeah, okay, I mean, that's I think that's the obvious choice. What so, else are you gonna do? And you're now are you going with um your unsung hero that you mentioned earlier? Who who did I mention as my unsung hero? I did thought I, it was the guy I... that you said brought the uncredited director, Marvin Leroy. Oh yeah, well yeah for the for that shot, but he's also he's the producer, so I don't I think he's sung enough. Okay, oh, okay, 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 sorry. Um, we don't have to get to this now. I just didn't know if we were we were kind of on that. You know, I think I was so focused on on the weak link that I didn't prepare an unsung hero. Well, then let me give you time to think about it, because yeah, because I feel like in a movie that has so many iconic characters, I mean Dorothy. The Wicked Witch, and you've got you've got all of the you've got the Cowardly Lion and the Tin Man and and the Scarecrow, right? Frank Morgan is my unsung hero of this movie, and um, you know I only really ever knew him from this. And I was doing a show a couple years ago uh, with Seattle Shakespeare Company, and in preparation for it, we watched a couple of movies from the the, the 30s, and we watched I think it was the Broadway Melody of um. I wrote it down. 1938 or something. It's, well, Doesn't yeah, it have like a specific year? It does. Oh, yeah. Broadway Melody of the 1940. Of 1940. And he's in it. And uh, one of the guys in the show based his character kind of off of his performance. And he's just so like goofy and, and not quite sure what's going on. And, and I love how at least as Captain Marvel, like he's kind of he's a con man kind of. But I do like that he, he at least cons her into doing the right thing. I, I just I, I like to make I, Captain I Marvel. smell a lawsuit from Kevin Feige coming. Oh God, yeah. Um, but I just yeah I, I just really enjoyed his his and the the ridiculousness of some of his characters and he gets to say one of my like oh yeah that's the horse of a different color I I just I enjoy him and all of his that was that was difficult for me I had to do some research because it did actually I I didn't remember the horses changing color yeah. I'm like, this seems like there could be some animal because this is right before the this is before the ASPCA and all. But that I bet other you were stuff. glad to find out what you did. Yeah, that it's just like Jello. Yeah. Stuff. And then they had to fine. film quick because the, the horses yeah. were licking it off. Yeah, yeah I was like fine. that. That made me feel better because I, I I I did. The second it happened, I wrote animal cruelty question mark. Although you know what's funny? So when I when I read that, I was obviously yeah thrilled to go. Oh God, thank that guy they didn't like spray paint these horses. But then it's very clear that these are all different horses. Like the red, I, specifically the red horse is a lot smaller than the other ones. And if it's just Jello, and I realize you're on a shooting schedule, but why not use the same horse? If it if it's just 
like the jello cubes and it's it's you're not doing any harm to the horse use the same horse like it, it i don't know small detail thing but like it blatantly is not the same horse throughout that seems like a like a, a crunch for time kind of thing you know what i mean we can let's paint this one this color and this one this color and we'll just change them I, out i i'm just just saying you're you're all being the uh, the the continuity Nazi over I guess, here. I guess that's fair. <laughs> um, you think that was really the biggest thing on their mind was continuity and trying to like keep this damn thing together because oh, it feel like it was about to go yeah, off the rails. Probably not. Yeah. At every second. Yeah. There's no way this film. On, it, there's no way it should have been successful, and 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 they didn't consider it a success at first because it had like a almost three three million dollar budget. Which was huge for the time. It was oh, yeah. MGM's biggest movie. Yeah, huge gamble for them. And in the states, anyway, it only just broke even when you add in all the the advertising costs and those other kinds of considerations. It wasn't until ten years later when they reissued it in '49 that it actually started making some money for them. And I think uh, since it all it's been released re-released so many times, but it's done upwards of 25 million. Yeah, in amongst all its re-releases, and, and God knows what it's done. On home video formats. Yeah, that yeah. Well, and it, it's one of the few movies that's been on like every, every home like beta, VHS, DVD. Like it, it's one. Oh, of I'm the sure few. there was even a laser disc. Yeah. Oh, that's what I'm saying though. It's like it's yeah. one of the few that has actually been on every form format of of home. Media. And it was the first film ever shown on television. Yes. First for syndicate. I like that's a cool little fact that I like. I actually looked that up a couple of years ago just out of curiosity. I was like, oh, what was yeah. the first movie ever shown on TV? It was this, and what else would it be? And it would either be this or Gone with the Wind, right? Yeah, you mentioned too the um, the sort of the struggles of putting this movie together and how much of a gamble it was for MGM. It, it's surprising that they didn't they didn't go with Shirley Temple as as Dorothy because that was she was well, that's guaranteed huge. box office right there exactly. And it was uh, the some of the songwriters that fought really hard to get Dorothy into the movie and. I gotta say, I, I I mean, I and I've seen I've actually seen a handful of Shirley Temple movies. They're not they're not great. Um, and then her, again, I don't imagine two guys like us being the target audience for them anyway. Well, fair, but but from what I can remember of the ones I've seen, her singing because she wouldn't have been she wouldn't have been much older from from the movies that I saw into where she would have done Wizard of Oz. And her singing is really cutesy, but it's not like it's it's. It's not like it's great singing, and that's where, at least with Judy Garland, you've got somebody who can sing. You know, I found myself when we were when Over the Rainbow started. I, I the thought I had was, this is a good song, and she sings it really well. It's just, it's just because, too because long. that that is her on the recording. Right? Yes, because obviously we're we're light years before they would even do consider live recording on set. But yeah, that yeah. that is actually her in the pre-recording. Yeah. 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 Oh yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Do you want to talk a little bit about? Her her visitors that she meets when she goes to Oz. Oh, our our three yeah. our three suave gentlemen. Yes, yes. Uh, so we have Scarecrow. Yes, who's the first fellow she meets. Yeah, and I I'm still kind of charmed by his entrance in the movie. Oh, it's great. I mean, he is the best of the three. She even says, "I'll miss you the most," which I think was part of a cut thing they were gonna do. There was much more of a romantic relationship between Dorothy and his human counterpart in sure. Kansas, which is why she said, "I'll miss you the most." It, there was a, a lot more of a relationship between the two of them or something along those lines. There's but. a great, I have to, there's a great family guy tangent where it cuts to, it's like, it's like the, this is, this is, was this, this is almost as awkward as the time Dorothy left, left Oz. 
and it cuts the door with his hand and, and, and you scarecrow I'll miss you most of all and then it cuts to like Tim and Elango geez that's an awkward thing to say with us both standing right here I feel like it was a journey for, for all of us I just I really enjoy that little tangent oh yeah just all the again all the different parodies oh yeah how it, many times it's been done and done so yeah. well the one thing I thought about uh, Ray Bolger in this part and especially seeing clips of other things that he had done in and around that time it, it takes a lot of skill to look like you're dancing that bad at times. And every time he like collapsed and like kept going, that's hard. And there was such a technical proficiency to what he was doing. Like it could look, I think maybe it could look sloppy and maybe people think that it's just a, you know, he he's being, oh, he's a scarecrow. He doesn't have limbs and he's just kind of being loose, but no, there's an immense amount of skill to and what you, he's doing. If you see a lot of what he'd done before, he his the control he had over his body. He was like lanky and athletic, and he was he was really good at doing that kind of stuff. So I, I get I give massive props to him for for the, the the physical performance he was able to do. If I have to choose one on the spot, he's maybe my unsung hero. Of the three, yeah. Well, he's not mine, but there. But it's Tin Man, isn't it? No, it's oh, not. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, no, interesting. Okay. So then, Tin Man is who she meets next. Yes, I love how, and maybe this is just me reading into it, but Jack Haley, obviously not the not the original choice, the original guy. They had to the the he had some kind of reaction to the makeup, right? Yeah, it was. Um. Oh, I only have his last name it was Ebsen. Yeah. Yeah. He. Yeah. He breathed in that aluminum. The uh, the aluminum powder. I got into his lungs, yeah. and yeah. which is not so good. No, no. But is it is it just me, or does Jack Haley play him just a little bit effeminately? I think, yeah. And I kind of I like that. I kind of appreciate that. Well, you know, and again, and I and it's one... not like in an over the top, you know, no, raging no. queen like trying to play the character gay or anything like that. But yeah. there's a slight sensitivity, but to what... him, and, and, and uh, this this. I don't know what other word well, to use. No, no, but no. Well, I played well, effeminately. A couple of things. One, he's the one who wants a heart, right? So I think right. there is there is almost like a lovelorn, like oh, I just you know I want love. It, he's he leads from the chest a lot, and not just because he's the Tin Man, but he's he wants love. He wants a heart. That that's what his thing is. But even the again the documentary that I watched had a lot of great clips of all these people doing other things, and he seemed to play kind of like a foppish, dainty man in a, in a lot of what he did. So that that's, that just seems probably right up his alley, and especially. I mean, it's still true now, but back then, not only were you contract players, but you played like the same thing all the time. So it really just kind of fit into his wheelhouse anyway. There's a great, there's a great joke. Well, not a great joke. I probably shouldn't say that. It's like, it's a, it's like a dad joke that I think I just appreciate. And, um, we can't, he, he, we can't quite hear him yet. He's like, oil can. And Dorothy goes, I think he said oil can. <laughs> and then Scarecrow goes, oil can what? Oh my! It's it, yeah. It's it is, so that's a terrible. That's such a bad dad joke. <laughs> and I see. I think that's right. I, I'm allowed to to make them now, and so I think I just appreciate that so much. Oh wait, have you been waiting until you've been? Because I I make them all the time. No, and, I, I and I'm not dad. I haven't been waiting because I I make them all the time too. But now it's like now I can just do them freely and not judge them. Like I they just come out, and if people don't like them, I'd be like, screw you. I'm a dad. I don't yeah. care. Oh, so now, now you're bulletproof yes, is what yes, you're saying. Yeah, yes. okay, I got you. When people come back at me with that was a bad joke, I'd be like, whatever. My kids would have laughed. Yeah. Eat it. Um, <laughs> Those dicks. <laughs> He's a dad. I, I don't leave talk, him alone. I don't talk to my kids that way. Um, so, yeah, and then and then we get I, – I, I really do love Burt Lahr as the Cowardly Lion. I think his entrance is great. You know, I'll fight you with one hand. 
Fight John One Foot. I, I love his like his his whole. Yeah, he's persona. got that. He's got that shtick. Yeah, oh yeah. Um, and I, then when he, I feel really bad nose, for him and that costume. Everybody, I I feel bad for everybody in their costumes. I don't know. That costume seemed like it was the worst. Like yeah. if I'm gonna take any of them, I'm taking Scarecrows. There's no way in hell I'm putting that oh, lion no. costume on. But but I would say leaps and bounds, Scarecrow. Like they they had they they talked to him about how grueling it was because not only did he have to um get into costume and makeup, but then like they'd have to do the individual lines to make it look like a burlap sack. And he talked about how how long that was. And I I, I, I at times was like, dude, somebody had to leave this movie. Because he got aluminum powder makeup in his lungs. Like, he's honestly probably lucky to even be alive. And, like, we got, we got fucking Burt Lahr over here wearing a goddamn lion pelt. Like, dude. Yeah, no, it's an actual yeah, lion pelt. Yeah, that's what I mean. Pelt. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think Bolger. So unnecessary. Least, yeah, yeah. Just, and a quick thing about the lion. And it's not just um, – it goes back into the, the writers of the songs. And I, I love the way that um, they, they, they talked about – kind of making up words or finding ways to make words rhyme that don't normally rhyme. Um, and I'm trying to think it's the one where, um, Oh, it's, it's, it's when we, it's when the lion says, if he only had the noive, right. And he talks about, um, so about, he says he rhymes prowess with malice. And I, I, I just, I just really like the, the is way that, that is that during his own song that yes, he gets yes. see that I would have cut that immediately. You know, what's funny though, is it's the shortest one. By far, it's the shortest of the of the. If I only had a brain, if I only had a heart, his is really short. Oh no, I don't. Not when they meet him, but when they're in Oz. Oh, you mean the the, the King of the Forest? That song. That song is. I would is, have cut that immediately. It's that would be the first thing that I, as an editor, because it like you're in Oz and all you're waiting for. It's the same argument that I have about Apocalypse Now and the French Plantation. Scene. Yeah, that, we are a, so a, close. That's a good point. To the wizard. Yeah. All we wanted, and then you stop for this song, which is just so inconsequential. We well, already know who the lion is and what his motivations are. And I, 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 part of me was wondering if they kept that song in because his "If I Only Had the Noive" song is it is substantially shorter than the other two, and it was like he needed to have a song and. I don't know. I, 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 I mean, obviously, I can't answer that question, but I, I had a similar thought. It, it's, we get the scrub, scrub here, scrub, scrub there. You know, we get to get the whole like, you know, the, yeah, the that's whole, enough. The very now, old land of Oz. And now let's get to the wizard. Yeah, this is it, what we're here for. We is, don't. Need... It's a hard pause on the forward action at yeah. that moment. Oh yeah, which is it. It's unfortunate because you do just want to get you want to get to the big green face. Yeah, because after right. that, then we've still got the whole witch's castle sequence to go, yes, which yeah. I guess got truncated quite a bit because the Jitterbug song got cut. Yes. And yep. then they did a reprisal of Over the Rainbow, which I the reason why they cut it is it was too intense. They didn't want to linger on Dorothy's, like, suffering. Impending and, doom. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. I'm like, the, I think, see, I would take the lion... The, the King of the Forest song out and put her reprisal back in. Well, and I to think, have that moment of melancholy. And, and obviously, I think there's, I mean, hindsight is twenty twenty, and we're just here, you know, having fun speculating. But I would have, I would have cut the song, but kept some of the line. Like, I love the, you know, I'd ride. What if, what if you came across an elephant? I'd wrap him up in cellophane. You know, like, we don't need the song. I think we can keep some of the jokes. 
like on the way, like pr- he's proving that he's got the nerve. And, and as we're going to Oz, I think you can get or the actual wizard, not they're in Oz. You could have made them a kind of running joke through the movie because yes. you could have had a couple on the way to Oz, a yeah. couple in Oz, and then a couple on the way to the witch's castle as yeah. well. So you could have kept the, the sort of essence of it without stopping the plot dead. Uh, now, we got to talk at least a little bit about the the thing that actually still scares me about this movie and those goddamn fucking monkeys. The monkeys, those things the are, monkeys are creepy, creepy as hell. Creepy as shit. Yeah. It's, and it's it's kind of unfortunate because it's not it's not a hard cut, but we, we see a, a moment of the Wicked Witch, and she's she's got one of the monkeys there, and it's just like, what is this? And then it cuts to one of the probably unintentional funniest things in the movie where she's she's flying on the broom, and it just looks like <laughs> it looks like it looks like a, a an RC gone haywire. Yeah, it's so great. Like it's so it's so bad that it is it is hysterical. I really enjoyed that. Can we talk about something that's tangentially related to the Wizard of Oz? Yeah, let's do it. So the whole myth about the the oh Jesus, we're gonna do this. Okay, well, so I I only want to bring it up because I I have just a stupid personal thing I want to bring up about. Yeah, it. yeah, yeah. So yeah, there, it, it was rumored that when um one of the shots when they're leaving the forest that you can see a crew member. I, I was rumored to either be a crew member or one of the Munchkins hanging themselves in the background, uh, which it's not. It's, it was, a, it's it's a stork because they would let live let, animals just yes. do their thing and and I so feel, much so did you read that they in subsequent releases they've gone in there and digitally painted it purple so yes. that you can't mistake it for anything else yeah, even though I, yeah. people still do yeah well but I feel like it was it wasn't too long ago that they actually they actually came out and and like like made it like an like an official statement that. That's not what happened. Like it was a rumor for so long that I don't like nobody really made it like a, a comment about it until not too long ago. Well, that's that the did. thing is if you don't, you just if you allow it to be a thing for 30, 40, 50 years, it's just you haven't said anything about it in that many decades. Why would you now? So it must be true. So the right? only reason I wanted to bring it up is so um, when I was an undergrad at Western, we would do this thing every year called um, theater prom. And uh, there was a theme every year. Like one year it was. Um, Something to do with Neverland. And so Melissa and I went as Lost Boys, but we didn't go as Pan Lost Boys. We went as Vampire Lost Boys. And we were rocking like black and leather jackets and stuff. And like that we always found a like a weird cheeky way to like do the theme, but not in the way that it was intended. And that's so, that's great. Yeah. So you were rocking the whole Kiefer Sutherland look? Oh yeah, yeah. I'll yeah. show you pictures later. We nice. we totally had it. But nice. um one year it was it was a, a masquerade in Oz. And so I, so Melissa went as two of the colors of the rainbow. Her and the, I think two other friends made made the rainbow up. I went, so I went as the the memory of the guy who hung himself. Like they, like oh his, they finally they admitted it wasn't real. So I went, I went as him. Like Melissa hollowed out my eyes and like <laughs> I had a noose around my neck. Oh Jesus <laughs> Christ, dude! <laughs> we bruised up my neck too, and it just like I was walking around like, hey man, have you heard? I'm not real, and that was. That I bet was my... you were just the bell of the ball, Cinderella. Oh no, I was not at all. I just again, I, I wanted to think of something really <laughs> outlandish and just kind of like again tangentially related to the theme, but not really. My my respect for you has grown hey! so much in the last thirty seconds Woo! for doing that. That's fantastic. Okay, that's so I that's so fucking good. I wish I'd thought of it. <laughs> I can show you pictures of that too, because yeah. a theater prom was just a, like a, a picture snapping event. So anyway, the other urban myth with this movie, Dark Side of the Moon. Oh yes. Did you ever try it? 
No. I never did because it sounded like the dumbest fucking thing ever. I mean, it, it's funny. The people, though, that – I mean, it, what I read is that it's not a, a total sink. But that that, that it's it, that there are moments that are really – that well, do seem to line the, up. The, the big one, I think, is the transition into Oz is when money starts and you get all the sounds of the cash registers and all of that. I think that's really the big selling point of it. I mean, and maybe maybe I'll lose some of our listeners or, and your attention by saying this, but I was never the biggest – pink floyd fan so i i had no like i love dark side of the moon I, oh and i love wizard of oz i should i should meld these two things together i'm also not a huge stoner so i really didn't have that side of things either to, to keep me interested in right. wanting to do that yeah but we i think we both knew people and i'm sure we could think of at least three people we knew in high school that did do it yeah or or i mean i, I couldn't say for sure but that we probably assumed did yeah yeah yeah, yeah definitely I, yeah, I would agree um that's that actually brings up another Family Guy tangent. One of my favorites in an early, super early season, like pre season five, before the show really started to turn to shit. There's a there's a moment with uh, you remember the character Mort, who owns the who owns the 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 pharmacy. Yes. Oh yeah. And it's like the big like Jewish stereotype character in the show. It's it's like him and his wife are talking about, oh, no, no, we never go out. We just, we sit up all night trying to sync movies to the Hotel California album and nothing has worked so far. <laughs> As a little, like, snide to people that do the Wizard of Oz Dark Side of the Moon thing, I'm like, that is genius. That is one of my at top 10 Family Guy moments ever. While we're talking about Family Guy tangents that have to do with the Wizard of Oz, there's one more where it's showing the bit where the Tin Man is doing that thing where he's losing his balance and to talk about your thing about how they the guy how Haley probably played him a little bit effeminately he he falls onto Scarecrow. He's like oh oh my god what happened what oh, an accident yeah. oh I remember that yeah, yeah. <laughs> but speaking of the actual Tin Man I mean that that lean that he does yeah I mean screw you Michael Jackson this is better oh that was that was impressive yeah I was also a little I I love I love old school movie magic and I I, I was reading that the when he did the the who who and the steam comes out that it was just talcum powder coming out of the top. And it, and then like one of the notes was like obviously it it's talcum powder because because obviously steam would just evaporate and this comes down and to whoever wrote that little like per- parenthetical note on that thing fuck you I didn't know it wasn't steam and I thought it was great yeah it could have been a guy standing behind him with a kettle who knows don't ruin movie magic like I was that, just like you dick. well I didn't mind knowing that it was talcum powder like just to read that but then it was like obviously it's talcum powder because steam would have evaporated I'm like fuck you dude just let me enjoy the movie piece of shit god we're doing a lot of swearing for a, a for a kid's uh, uh, yes, movie exactly i would agree i would agree <laughs> listen we 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 had a good conversation before we ever did the first episode of one of these shows saying should we put the explicit lyrics thing up on and we did and i think we chose the right one yeah because we either would have had to have not sworn or we'd have to go through and edit out every swear word which for me is like i can't it's this like is not breathing happen. yeah yeah I love swearing. I do too, a lot. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't. I I do. Oh wait, okay, no, I can't. I was. I really love this movie. I was gonna start kind of kind of wrapping up. I I okay. Well, we are at an hour. I know, I know, but I ha- I can't end this episode without going. How did the water destroy the witch? There is right right before she gets hit with the water. You can hear. You can hear her say, not water. Or there's some, there's some like, no, no, don't do that. It's very quick. Very quick because the music and all the hubbub is pretty loud. 
But there's no, there is nothing, nothing throughout any part of the movie that makes any reference as to why the water would melt her? Yeah, you think you could have thrown something in there where she's on in Munchkin Land and maybe the Munchkins are like teasing her by spraying her with water and then she buggers off. I, 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 I do wonder... And if and if water is gonna, do, why do you just keep it in random buckets around your castle? I was gonna say what, I, that's, that that's makes stupid. no sense at all. That's it, like that's like Superman filling the Fortress of Solitude with a shitload of kryptonite. Doesn't make any sense. Yeah, no, that I mean that's fair. I mean I, I mean God, what, what I mean, what happens if she's flying on her broomstick and it starts raining? Yeah, what do you do? I mean, I mean, I, I, I guess you could zoom home quick, but I, I don't know. It's unless she keeps it like a handy umbrella. That's stuffed oh, that's in there fair. somewhere. Yeah, or I guess the hat. Maybe that. Maybe that's why that hat exists. Is yeah. to, the brim of it is just a good, like a rain shield. Yeah, right. Yeah. But it getting hit in the face with water. I mean, that's that. Different. That was a then that much, man. That, yeah, that does it. Um, I know we're picking apart a, a kid's fantasy film, but but you know. it's but it's 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 it sucks because. I know it's a kids film. I know it's a I know it's a fantasy family movie. But and like I mentioned, there's no there's no real world building and there's no real character building. Yeah. It's 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 fun. And ultimately, obviously she gets back home and the whole th- I mean, there's no place like home. I don't like the way that that's necessarily worded. I think it's mostly just like, you know, you know, home is home is where you make it, you know, and and you know, when she wakes up out of her, her little head trauma dream thing that she has, she realizes that oh yeah look all the I you know I have it really well and I can I can be here and it, and it, it's great. So but, speaking of the ruby slippers, yeah, have have you seen them? Because I have you been to DC to the Smithsonian? I have not. I, I've I've seen them. Yeah, and after this many years, they definitely don't glisten like they used to. Man, those <laughs> things are dull as hell. I can imagine. Somebody needs to go in there and clean those up because those were those were actually one of the most disappointing things for me in in the Smithsonian. If I because I'm in the pop culture bit and I'm looking around, I'm excited to see Miss Piggy in an evening dress in there. They've got like the gloves from Rocky. Oh yeah. Um, the greatest thing that I saw in the Smithsonian, though, this is such a, a window into my soul. Oh, this be good. They have a bunch of different examples of. Uh, portable music players, you know, like Walkmans and tape decks and, and all kinds of stuff. Yeah. So they have an example of an old school cassette Walkman, you know, with those terrible, you know, wire oh, headphones, yeah. you know, yep. like Marty McFly has oh, in, yeah. in Back to the Future. So they have one of those in there. And the cassette that they have as an example next to it is Pretty Hate Machine by Nine Inch Nails. And I went, that's a win right there. Oh, wow. That's a win for all us subversives. At the Smithsonian? At the Smithsonian. Yeah. It made me so... I took like 20 pictures of it and just kept spamming the <laughs> shit out of Liz's phone with them. Like, look what's in the Smithsonian. It made my day. Yeah, that day I also got to go to Arlington and, and the Washington Monument and see the White House and all that other stuff. But that was the highlight. Nine Inch Nails being in the Smithsonian. That made my day. Not go. to take anything away from Arlington. I shouldn't have said it that way because that and the Vietnam Wall you destroyed me. are a piece of shit. Yeah, I know, right? Nine hey, Inch Nails man. hates you. I know. <laughs> no, seriously, the Vietnam Wall did kill me. I had to like well, walk away for a while. I can, I can only It was that. rough. That's a story for another day. Fair, fair. Yeah, man. I don't know. Do you have anything else you want to? Say? I mean, again, we we did we threw out some fun so little bits. much trivia. Exactly, on this movie. there really There's is. Like you could do days worth of, re- and that's what we've talked about this before. When you have a film as beloved as this, and I talked about it during Top Gun, I feel like people they want to know, they want to feel a part of it. You know what I mean? So it's it's a case of give me all the knowledge. I want to know everything that went into making this thing. Yeah. So there's so much out there. Yeah. But as as far as a couple little more pieces of like the dog was pay, supposedly paid more 
than the Munchkins? Did you read that? I, I, I didn't read that. I could believe it. Yeah, so could I, which is kind of messed up. Yeah. Like, they were only paid, like, 50 bucks a week, whereas Toto was making, like, 125 It's a dog. What's it going to do with money? That's a great question. It's the same thing with this whole pet rent thing, which is a fucking scam. Oh, that, that's... When, when we moved into... to Luckily, the place we live in now doesn't have pet rent, but the couple we looked at, it took every screed of energy within me not to look at these people when they were talking about pet rent and go, the cat doesn't work. Yeah. What am I supposed to do if he's not making his nut every month? <laughs> Kick him out on the street? The fuck's wrong with you? He's a fucking cat. <laughs> It's a fucking scam. I'm sorry. That's why you pay a pet deposit. I, well, I, I would just say that along with like the aluminum powder getting in the guy's lungs, just, you know, Margaret Hamilton being green for a period of time and getting burned because of the smoke and the fire and um, uh, the, the snow was, was made of asbestos. Oh, that's, that's nice. Despite knowing how awful that was, um, you know. Yeah, but it's cheap. They're, they're. Or I, I haven't, I mean, thankfully in my, my, you know, mostly stage career as an actor, I haven't been in any kind of a situation where I felt like unsafe because of something I've done, but like working conditions back then just sound God awful. And especially in big, big movies like this with costumes and makeup, nobody knew what the fuck they were doing. It just, it just sounds painful and unnecessary. It, no, it really does. But it's also, it's very exciting. And, and I love the idea of trailblazing and having to make this stuff doesn't exist so you got to make it up like yeah. the, like the transition to color well and like still the, genius and, and the tornado i think we haven't even oh, talked about the tornado no, it's the tornado's still cool it still looks pretty good i mean it's i talked a, to, it's a stocking on a yeah um, it's like a 35 a foot long stocking yeah i mean it's a little thin and bendy it looks nothing like a real tornado but, it, but it's it cool is, for what yeah, it is i think it still looks great as far as from an effect standpoint and even even the matte paintings like you know oh with are, like the castle and yeah all, yeah yeah it's, it's very effective yeah yeah they still look great and it's one of those things where you just i mean god i feel like such an old like this is how film should be but i just miss practical or, or and stuff that was like made i i don't know i just visual effects now i just think they're ruining movies i yeah. mean even movies that aren't like heavy on the vfx it's just when you can well it's cheap we don't have to actually go to this location we'll just do this and it's like no come on really that was that honestly as bad as the 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 fourth Indiana Jones was that was what put me out the most is when you look at the original three you know what when he needed to to hang off the back of a truck Harrison Ford he hung off the back of a truck and then all the stuff with the tank in Last Crusade and all that they they did that stuff and it looks great it still looks great and then when you transition to the fourth one and there is just I the car chase where they're dueling oh with the I have not seen the fourth one I will. oh you haven't no. okay good for you. Because I saw it at midnight at the Cinerama, and that thing was like half empty when the lights came up, and I was one of the suckers still sat there. Dude, I if if a movie doesn't look good to me, I won't. I am proud to say I've not seen any of the Transformers, nor will I. I have no point. I have no point in seeing them. But but you know the the you know what I mean. With yeah. The, yeah. Exactly. I'm just backing up your argument of yeah. I I miss. We sound like some old old granddads now, but yes, shoot on film and shoot practically. There's no reason not to. I know it's cheaper and easier, but cheaper and easier isn't better filmmaking. Yeah. Th- yes. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's it. You want to do any sequel talk? Have you seen any sequels or any other kind of? When I was a when I was a wee lad, at one point I saw Return to Oz. Is that the Fraser Bulk one? Yep. Yeah. So that looking at all the different, that's the only one that looks interesting to me. It. It's dude. 
it's a I haven't seen it since. I was probably about 11 or 12 when I saw it. It's a mind fuck. It is. It's like she goes back to Oz and Oz is like in shambles. I I that I the, I the pumpkin I, head character looks creepy. Oh, it's as shit. dude, it's it, it will mess and it's it's effects of like uh practical makeup effects are getting better, but they're not quite there yet, so it's it's just real enough to be creepy. It's it's bizarre. It's. And I was also fascinated by the fact that it's the only film directed by Walter Murch, who is known as being a sound guy. Like he's yeah. famous for his sound work on Star Wars and Apocalypse Now. Yeah. And um, of all the things you would choose to direct, I mean, what the hell, man? I don't know. I don't it's, know. It's like I. It's the only one that looks interesting to me, but out of like a morbid curiosity. It's one of those ones where you get a little, you get a little drunk or you get a little high, and you just like, okay, yes. let's go down this road. Yeah. It, I, I would never willingly choose to watch it, but. If for some reason I was flipping through the channels I don't have anymore because I don't have cable, but like it, it happened to be on somewhere, I, I would I might just say wait hold on let's let's watch a little bit of this and see see if it, if it's gonna keep us. Um, and I I, I saw the, the horrible Franco one. It was that terrible. It looked. Oh, you haven't seen it? No. Yeah, it's bad. Yeah. Yeah. It's it not, looked. It looked really terrible. I I would I would go on record and say that James Franco shouldn't do anything period or fantasy. He doesn't. He's too much of a dude. Like in, in 127 Hours and, and Pineapple Express, when he's playing contemporary, he's fine. I mean, I I think he's even fine in the Spider-Man movies. Like if it's set now, he, I think he's fine. He's fine. But like Oz and um, there's another one that's that's left my Cause brain. Because he's, he's done some period stuff. I mean, he did – he was fairly good in the, the Ginsburg movie howl about oh, the controversy with that, that that poem that that wasn't bad well he's and he's not bad in milk but that still feels he's still kind of dude in that in in his own way but i just i don't his demeanor doesn't his his presence as an actor doesn't doesn't register for me in that world well i'm just that's fine with me I'm, I'm just not a franco fan i did not like that i did not like that movie is that is that the note you want to leave this on is how bad the Franco one is. Oh, I'm fine. I'm fine right. with that. Yeah. yeah. All right. Um. So I I feel like this is the most obvious, obvi- uh, maybe not the most, but Ian, should the Wizard of Oz be in the book? Well, I I find it hard to believe that anybody who is actually into film has not seen it. But that's yeah, fair. if they haven't, then what are you waiting for? Well, and I feel like yeah, that's one of those ones where uh, yeah, a thousand one movies you must see before you die. But it's worthy to be in that book. Like, like it's one of like the big obvious ones. Yes, though. exactly. Like, like, you know, in the, you know, some, an alien comes down and wants to learn, like wants to do a whole thing on movies. And like, this is the one that it's in there. You have to watch it. Now I'm not going to sit here and say that I love this movie. It's not, no, it's yeah. It's far from perfect. Yeah. But it's, it is one that, you know, in, in, you know, I've, I've had children for five total years now, you know, Stella's a little over five and, it's the second time we've watched it in that span of time, and I know I know we'll watch it again when Sophie gets old enough to understand it. And I'm not saying it's going to become a family classic necessarily, but I do like that it's a it's a go to. It definitely is a family movie, um, and one that as time goes by, like catching that oil can joke is something I. I know, even I, I know I haven't caught before that it's something now that I'm listening more to the, to the actual words because you know it's hard. It it's easy to be induced by the 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 spectacle of this movie. So to pay more attention to the other things now, 
find I can find it enjoyable now as an adult, and also watch my kids enjoy it for the the pretty colors and the fun characters. Well, there you go. So it's yes for me too, which seems very very obvious, very but, easy. Yeah. This this was we kind of softballed this one in there. It's hard, but hard not to. I feel like what's it? I feel like it's gonna like like I'll have more to say, but like when we get to the Godfather, it's gonna be like. Well, yes, it should be in the book, and now let's just gush about the Godfather. Yeah, right. But I just, other than other than say maybe Back to the Future and Stand by Me, I think this is our, I think the, this is an easy one, yeah. all things considered. Yeah, this would, this wasn't a stalker. Yeah, or even a quiet man. This isn't going to be the next film we talk about either. No, because next week's film. Anyways, we'll leave it there. Yeah, yeah. No, we this we're about to we're about to have a hard swing. Yeah. But uh, until then, this was The Wizard of Oz, and we, we absolutely think this should be in the book. So as we mentioned earlier, we're now on Stitcher, but you can find us on Google Play and Spotify and Apple Podcasts. You can find us at um, at Twitter and on Facebook, too. Um, really quickly, though, before we end, we're also our, – our 50th episode is a few weeks away, and uh, we're, it's going to be kind of a uh, – like a recap of what we've done. We're going to – What have we learned so far? Yeah, we're going to talk about some of our – we're going to rank some of our favorite movies we've talked about, some of the worst movies we've talked about. Uh, we're going to talk about some of our recommendations to like ones that like really stand out for us. Um, but I think we also could, I want to know what, what any questions that you, our listeners have. So if there's a specific question that you want to ask us about a film that we've talked about or something that we haven't talked about. It can be just a movie question in general, please. Um, you can hit us up on Facebook or on Twitter, or we have we do have an email address. It's a thousand and one by one at gmail.com. So um, send us questions and let us know uh, if you you know anything that you're you're curious about to know. Like Ian and I, opin- our opinion on on something. Just let us know, and we'll probably fit that in. That should be a fun episode. Yeah, you know. So it's yeah. So anyway, yeah, ask um, ask us anything. Yeah, it'll be fun. Yeah, because it doesn't have to be movie related. It could just be a, a random question. You need life advice? Yeah, well, we're here. We'll take a crack at it. Yeah, why not? <laughs> Um, but we're, okay, we're a couple we're a couple of weeks away from that. Um, this was the Wizard of Oz. We had a blast, and until next time, I am Adam, and I am Ian, and we will see you next week. <laughs>